But I'd always like to start by asking people, where, where are you from? Kind of where do you, where's your background? Well, I'm originally from, um, I, was, I was born in New Jersey, I guess, if you can admit that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I, I grew up in upstate New York, and that's, that's where I started playing and, and really getting interested in music. And uh, I went to school out there, and I wound up coming out to Chicago when I was about 25, and I've been here ever since. That's so, a long time ago. So yeah, what, what, what did your parents do out there? My, uh, my, my mom uh, took care of uh, me and you know my grandmother. She lived with us. And, uh, and my dad worked for the Miller Brewing Company. You know, they had a brewery up in Fulton, New York, and that's, that's, that's what he did. He was, he was a maintenance superintendent. Do you, you find your music is influenced by... By beer? By, by beer? <laughs> by beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, sometimes it definitely has been. Um, but... Uh, it's it's funny the music was was not really influenced so much by my surroundings like it would have been if I let's say grew up in Tennessee or Kentucky where there's a lot of bluegrass, um, you know New York is a is a big state and and there's a lot of uh, old time music mm-hmm. out there, but you kind of have to travel a little bit to find it and so the discovery of music for me was really based on things that I was hearing on the radio and also records that I would get out of the public library. And, um, and for a while, I really felt like I was kind of on a little island because all of my friends, my guitar playing pals, were all into, you know, rock and roll. Every, you know, it was the, the late 70s where if, uh, you know, if you were going to play guitar, you had to be able to do, you know, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no stairway. Um, yeah. And, and so I wasn't interested in any of that because I discovered Mississippi John Hurt and Blind Willie McTell and, and the, the fingerstyle blues guys, that really sort of captured my imagination. And then from there, it sort of uh, spider webbed out towards the flat pickers and uh, songwriters and so forth. Do, do you remember what the first, the first song, you know, the, what Mississippi John Hurt or whoever oh, sure. it was? What was, what oh, was yeah. it? It was like. There used, to be, um, there used to be a radio show which came on at 11 o'clock at night on uh, Saturdays. Uh, on the public radio station and it was a show called good time folk jug bands and blues and uh, it was a really funky show and the and the dj would would pick a topic or an artist or something that kind of caught his fancy and he would spend the entire hour just digging into it and the first show that i had the tape player on mm. and captured for myself was all about Mississippi John Hurt, and he he opened the show with this tune called the Monday Morning Blues, and I had never heard anybody play guitar like that, mm-hmm. and I just remember thinking that's what I want to do. And had had you been playing already? I had been playing a little bit, but but really, just sort of chords and 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 strumming. I was doing, I was working my way through a lot of Woody Guthrie songs, not because I had any sort of kinship with. The Dust Bowl or or Hard Times or anything like that. Although both of my parents were were children of the Depression, um, but I was really sort of taken by Woody because he only used at most three chords in any of his songs. So I was like, oh, I can do this. It has a D chord in it and a G and an A. Oh, great! And 
I think I we, we'll talk more about Woody Guthrie because I know you've done a lot of stuff around him. Sure. How about uh, Mississippi John Hurt? Could we hear a kind of Mississippi John Hurt tune that sure. you were working on? Sure. I'll I'll play that uh, I'll play that first tune because that really captured my imagination and I was like, man, I got to do this. So here's a little bit of uh, Mississippi John Hurt's Monday Morning Blues. I woke up this morning Woke up this morning Woke up this morning With the Monday morning blues Couldn't hardly find Couldn't hardly find Couldn't hardly find My Monday morning shoes Monday morning blues Monday morning blues Monday morning blues Made me leave my home Monday morning blues Monday morning blues Monday morning blues Surged all through my bones I've been laying in jail I've been laying in jail I've been laying in jail Six long weeks today Well, tomorrow morning Well, tomorrow morning Well, tomorrow morning Gonna be my trial day Ask the jury Lord, ask the jury Ask the jury now What might be my fine Get a pick and shovel Get a pick and shovel Get a pick and shovel Let's go down in the mine That's the only time That's the only time That's the only time I ever felt like crying Mr. Change a Dollar Mr. Change a Dollar Mr. Change a Dollar Give me a lucky dime I woke up this morning Woke up this morning Woke up this morning with the Monday morning blues Oh, thanks a whole lot. 
Not exactly the way Mississippi John Hurt did it, but that's, that, that's what started it all, that finger-picking. So that's, that's in the 1970s. and Late 1970s, yeah. And nowadays, you know, if somebody wanted, heard <laughs> Mississippi John Hurt, they could go on YouTube, see all, most, probably all of his music, learn all about who he was. Yeah, how, was it, how are you uncovering who he and some of these people are? <laughs> in, that, well, that's a, that's a great question because, you know, back when I started playing, the, you know, the earth was still cooling and, um, <laughs> and there was no internet. Um, and I tried to learn from tablature. I'd heard there was this method that somebody had figured out to write it out so that you could play it. And I took a book of tablature out from the public library. I found it and there were some songs in it that I remembered. Oh yeah, I, I know that one. And I tried to I tried to figure it out, and I just couldn't make head or tail out of it. And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to mess with this. Uh, you know, if I can hear what the chord is, if I can hear what key, uh, I'll figure it out. And I just sort of made myself a really good ear learner. And, and, I, and I discovered that something like a D chord always sounds like a D chord even if the the capo is on and I thought well if I can figure out what one chord is in a song then I can use that as my point of reference and sort of work work it out and you know that's what all the old timers did they didn't have tablature they heard things and stole from each other and like that and I would do that if I get around somebody that played that could really do something I'd you know I'd pick their brain hey how do you do that what's that chord shape what's you know how about the, the finger picking? Was that something you were able to hear and pick up on as well? The thing that I heard the, the finger pickers do was keep the steady thumb going. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I could hear how it was being done, but I couldn't make my hand do it. And I remember uh, I, used to, I used to have like a little sort of rolling pattern that wasn't very good. It didn't have that back and forth. And I remember that... The day that this happened, I was sitting on the floor outside of my bedroom in my parents' house because I was still in high school, and I was, you know, leaning against the wall and I had the guitar in my lap, and I was thinking about something other than playing the guitar. And so, when I came back to earth, mm-hmm. um, I remember I was holding a C chord and I was doing this: thumb index, thumb middle, like that. And I had stumbled over the thing that I'd been trying to do, and I, I had wound up doing it without thinking about it. And I realized, first I realized my guitar was out of tune. Um, But the next thing I realized was that everything was probably going to be more possible because I had stumbled onto this little pattern. And it was just something like that? You weren't even thinking about it? It I I mean, I was thinking and I was obsessing over it, Uh but if I I had concentrated on trying to do it, I probably wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. able to make my right hand find that pattern it was when I quit thinking about it it's like anything you know you try to do something you can't do it and the minute you stop worrying about it you can do it mm-hmm. and so that's that's your you're in upstate New York at this time yeah I was still up there now yeah. are there other people is there a folk scene up there there's a there's a uh, there's at that some, time yeah well at that time there wasn't um, there there wasn't a, a folk scene that I could sort of latch on to there wasn't any place like the old town school of folk music like I said before I was really kind of I felt like I was on an island because I had surrounded myself with all this music that none of my guitar playing friends had any interest in you know it was all dust in the wind uh-huh. and I, you know, I was you know and I was trying to and I was trying to pick Mississippi John Hurt and that kind of stuff and they they thought it, they, it had sort of a passing 
interest like a novelty, mm-hmm. you know. But they that wasn't their that wasn't their thing. What, do you, what what was it about you? Why do you think you were different in that way? Uh, <laughs> well, okay, I didn't know I was going to get on the couch, but. Uh, <laughs> You said anything? Um, well, I, you know, I, I guess, I guess, really, because, oh, okay, well, okay. In all seriousness, listening to those old recordings, there was something, there was something there that was really, you know, not of this time, not of this mm-hmm. period, you know, not of this earth. You know, it was old, scratchy, seventy-eight RPM records, and it was almost like doing, you know, sort of an archaeological excavation to try mm-hmm. to figure this song out or to hear what the lyrics were. And and it all sounded really remote and distant, and that was that was it, it played on my imagination that way, mm-hmm. you know, more so than 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 rock and roll. First off, I could, you know, I could hear what was going on in the guitar mm-hmm. because there was no, you know, bass and drums and all this other stuff crowding ar- around it. And and at, at this time, you're also you so you're playing some blues. You're also doing mm-hmm. Woody Guthrie stuff too. Yeah, you know, there was there was some of that because mm-hmm. uh, again, because I said. I didn't know that many chords, and, uh-huh. and if you could get a D and a G and an A7, you had a lot of Woody Guthrie songs right mm-hmm. under your fingers like that. And were you good at, at remembering lyrics and stuff like that? Did it, did it come to you well? Be- better then than I am now. <laughs> um, that goes back to the beer thing. <laughs> so what, what were some of the Woody Guthrie songs that were really speaking to you? Um, well, the, the the one that there's one that Mark and I are going to do right. later, uh, Do Re Mi. That's an early one, but I'll, I'll wait to do that mm-hmm. with uh, with him. But um, the Dust Bowl ballads, mm-hmm. because again, that was a that was an LP that you could get out of the library that right. had all these all these tunes together. Um, one of the one of the ones uh, that that I remember was um, I ain't got no home, mm-hmm. and part of Part of what I liked about about Woody was was the fact that he was that he was really good with with lyrics and words. It wasn't you know Moon June Big Baboon. It was mm-hmm. you know the writing was so good, and so it 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 kind of kept my attention, and again mm-hmm. in another way captured my imagination. Right. In fact, do- my my mother she grew up in uh, in California. And she she says that when she was a, a a little girl, there would be these 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 men, you know, hobos, okies, I guess, you know, all sorts of, um, you know, whatever pejorative term you want to use, that would occasionally show up at the at the back door, and they would wanna they would wanna know if there was some work that they could do, for you know a sandwich or, or whatever. And the thing that she told me, she said they were all so kind and really well spoken. They were all gentle souls you know and and i and when i would whenever i would sing any of these dust bowl songs i would sort of remember that little story that she would that she would tell about her mother answering the back door and there'd be this guy standing there looking a little you know rumpled but mm-hmm. wanting to know if there was any wood to chop or something like that so he could get a sandwich so you had you had that image of, of, of uh, connected with your family and in the woody yeah, and the songs and absolutely stuff, yeah. i do uh Ain't got no home or sure, a yeah, song for us? We... See if I can remember it. Oh, the struggle to stay in tune is a never ending one. 
I ain't got no home, I'm just rambling around. Just a wandering working man, I go from town to town. And the police make it hard wherever I may go. And I ain't got no home in this world anymore. Now my brothers and my sisters are stranded on that road. It's a hot, dusty highway that a million feet have trod. My friends and my relations, they've all gone on before. And I ain't got no home in this world anymore. I ain't got no home, I'm just a rambling bound. Just a wandering working man, I go from town to town. And the police make it hard wherever I may go. And I ain't got no home in this world anymore. I was farming on the shares, and always I was poor. My crops I laid into the banker's store. But the banker took my house, and he drove me from my door. I ain't got no home in this world anymore I ain't got no home, I'm just rambling round Just a wandering working man, I go from town to town And the police make it hard wherever I may go And I ain't got no home in this world anymore as I ramble around, it's mighty plain to see That this wide, wicked world, it's a funny old place to be Cause the gambling man is rich, and the working man is poor And I ain't got no home in this world anymore I ain't got no home, I'm just a Just a wandering working man, I go from town to town. The police make it hard wherever I may go. And I ain't got no home in this world anymore. I ain't got no home in this world anymore. Yeah. Thanks a whole lot. So you're, you're playing Woody Guthrie tunes, you're playing some blues stuff. Um, are you thinking to yourself you're going to be a musician? Or is that coming to your head? No, I, I really, um, really kind of did it for, for myself. Um, again, partly because there wasn't a lot of interest in the stuff that I was playing. Uh, so I thought, well, this will just be my thing. And... Um, you know, and when I went off to college, it, it uh, you know, th again, there wasn't the, there wasn't a really kind of folk scene, and 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 so I just sort of, I just kept it to myself. You know, I occasionally pull out some little, you know, if you if you play any kind of any kind of guitar, and and you you have friends eventually, they're going to want you to come and bring it, and you know, and uh, 
and then uh, and then they say, well, oh, hey, or can you play this? Can you play that? And I was just useless because I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know anything that was that was popular. Um, so I was sort of an interesting musical oddity. Um, so I didn't until I came out to Chicago and discovered you know the old town school of folk music where you could walk through the door and you could say mississippi john hurt and people knew who you were talking about i was i was pretty much on my own mm-hmm. and had you been writing songs as well yeah. uh nothing nothing worth mentioning uh-huh. really i mean i was well i, I mean i was i was like, trying to experiment with i st- i still have this first i guess song that i ever tried to write um, it's um, it's a it's this really awful, um, and I don't know why I keep it. I guess again, like another sort of archaeological sort of artifact, um, and and I guess partly because I didn't write it on a on a you know legal pad or anything like that, a page of regular paper. It was it's on the side of a shopping bag. <laughs> And it's just this, it's this really awful Dylan-esque derivative line after line after line kind of thing that at the time I thought, oh, wow, this is really something. And it's really nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But I've kept it. It's somewhere in a closet somewhere, that little paper bag. So so when when did you first play for people? I mean, other than, say, at a party or something, when when did the moment come where you're on a stage? Um, I was... Uh, I had um, there was some little place that had music and I, I struggle to remember exactly where where it was this was probably in the middle 80s and uh, and I I did a little solo thing I think there were some a couple other people that that were playing along with me you know after and before and my my really dear friend Wes Wes Holden who is not listening because he doesn't live anywhere near where this is being broadcast, um, gave me the best piece of advice I ever got. He said, you know, you're, the, the playing was good, the singing was good, but always remember, it's a show. Because what I was doing was I was being this sort of like artful guitar player, not looking at the audience mm-hmm. and being very sort of, you know, soulful and all that baloney. And he just said, remember, it's a show, you know. The people are there, they're looking at you, so you want to include them. Hi, Marge. <laughs> was that hard at first? Well, again, I was really sort of shy about it. Um, you know, I didn't sort of, I didn't sort of stride on stage and say, "Well, now I'm going to do my Woody Guthrie set." Uh, uh, here I, and here I am championing the the oppressed and that guy. You know, I didn't, I didn't have that about me. I just sort of, uh, my attitude was, you know, I. Uh, uh, thanks for listening. I hope you don't boo. <laughs> and 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 you were, were you you were trained as an actor, or how did you? At this time, you're also doing acting. Yeah, this time, right? I guess I, I guess you could call it training. I guess that's I guess that's what actors get. Um, but yeah, that's what that's what I was gonna that's what I was gonna pursue as a as a job. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. was, that was the, the more practical path than music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then and then when I, you know, when I, when I, again, like I say, when I came to Chicago and was here and I worked as an actor for a while, but when I really discovered the Old Town School and saw that, you know, there was this thing called folk music, I went where the money is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And who who are some of the people? How do you walk into the old town school? How do you find the out about door, it? The front door. You just oh, it's great. always open. <laughs> This, this, this is how I discovered the Old Town School. This is absolutely true. I, was, I got here in the fall of 1988, and I, the, uh, and I was on the Red Line, which back then was called the Howard Line, going into town, because I lived up on the north side, and I was going downtown to look for a job. And as we were passing, quickly blowing past Armitage on the Red Line, I'm looking uh, east through the window, it just happened to be, and there was the sign at the Armitage location of the old town school building up above and the trees because there were no leaves you could see it clearly and there's this big sign it's the old town school of folk music that you could read clearly from the from the window of the train and i remember mouthing the words as it's going by what is that <laughs> just thinking like i got to remember where that is and uh and it was maybe a year or so later that I that I walked in and I went into the music store and bought some strings and and began to you know began to hang hang around the place because there was this sort of open door friendly come on in oh you know about Woody Guthrie too great let's sing the song attitude about the place who are some of the first people you met over there I met a bunch of folks um, I did a I did a tour in the in 1990. I did a I did a national tour of a thing called Woody Guthrie's American Song, and I met uh, I met a bunch of musicians who had ties to the Old Town School because that musical community, acoustic music community, is pretty small. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy that I that I was in the play with was a guy named Brian Gunter. And he was friends with some of the teachers at the Old Town School, and he was in a, a band with some of them. And uh, there used to be a place on Lincoln Avenue, uh, Earl's Pub, that was later Lucille's, and I, I don't know what it is now. Uh, and there was a night when Brian and his band, some of whom were Old Town School teachers, were playing. And he said, well, come on down, and maybe we'll have you sit in for a song or two. And I met a whole load of people in one shot that night um pardon me it was right around the holidays christmas time of 1990 and then in in 91 again i started hanging around a little bit more and some of the teachers and i we got to know each other and i wasn't teaching there yet Uh but we just started playing music i met mark pretty pretty close to that time and it was it was a real sort of again an open friendly atmosphere of oh you know these songs or you mm-hmm. want to you want to learn about these songs well then you're the you know you're you're that kind of crowd you want to you're curious about it mm-hmm. you want to talk about it you want to sing about it and and that's how i that's how i come to hang around the place what what are some of the songs you're playing around this time when you're it's a lot people. of Woody Guthrie because yeah. I had done that play, uh-huh, and right. I was I was doing a lot of Woody Guthrie, but also at that time because Brian Gunner, this fellow that I mentioned, was a really good flat picker, mm-hmm. and I was really not, uh-huh. and and I I I marveled at his technique and his ideas and things, and so I started thinking that's something I'd like to try to do. So that was like the next thing. I had a pretty good hand on the finger picking thing, but uh-huh. of the pick, I basically just sort of strummed and poked at the strings. Mm-hmm. And, and hoped for the best. Can you, can you play an example of kind of what you were What trying? I was playing like Well, at you the don't time? have to play like it. If, or. Um, well, one of the... I mean, the, the thing that you, that you start off with, if you're any kind of flat picker, 
uh, is you try to learn the fiddle tunes. And and that was a that was a thing that I thought was really was really interesting that that you take you take a tune that's that in a sense belongs on one instrument and you play it on your instrument. I thought, wow, that's a neat idea. How does that work? <laughs> and um, and one of the the first couple of tunes that I that I tried to work on, uh, one of them was uh, Whiskey Before Breakfast, and the other one was. Um, was was red-haired boy whiskey before breakfast was easier because it was in a little C position and it's much friendlier so that's probably one of the first tunes I worked on you know a little bit of that yeah let's do it sure what's the worst that can happen Whiskey before breakfast. Thank you. What's what's the origin of that song? Uh, that's uh, that's that's an old tune. Uh, it's pr- probably probably Irish uh-huh. uh, in 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 origin. Um, there's actually a guy named Adam Granger, who's a, a, a flat picker from uh, the Twin Cities area, and he's got a book called Granger's Fiddle Tunes. And he researched all the different names that uh, a fiddle tune has picked up. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I remember having nothing to do with Whiskey Before Breakfast, but there's a, there's a beautiful tune called the, the, the Flowers of Edinburgh. And it starts off in the, in the Granger's Fiddle Tunes, it starts off as a list of names and it kind of grows across the page. It starts off as Flowers of Edinburgh and it makes its way down to uh, French Canada where it's known as 
the snoring of Madame Jibiel. <laughs> How it went from the, its first name to where it wound up is beyond me, but uh, I think that stuff's really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and so you're doing this, the Woody Guthrie show at that time. Could you tell yeah. us a little bit about what that was? Sure. It was, a, it was a thing called Woody Guthrie's American Song, and it was, the whole thing was taken from his writings, uh-huh. uh, prose and songs, and it was put together by, uh, by a fellow named Peter Glazer, and um, whose uh, whose father was uh, was Tom Glazer, who was a part of the of the political, topical, social songwriting uh, and singing crowd of the 1940s in New York, along with uh, you know Burl Ives and, and Woody and and Sis Cunningham and all those folks that made up the Almanac Singers, and. Um, and it was uh, it was a show that I had had been a part of for a number of years from from 1990 until about 1995, four or five. Mm-hmm. I did various incarnations of it. Um, sometimes I would I would go into the show as the as as the ringer, you know, the one that knew the show with a, in a cast of folks who had never done it. Mm-hmm. So so that was always interesting. Were the people in the cast? Generally, people who knew Woody Guthrie beforehand. You had yeah. to have kind of a at least a passing acquaintance yeah. with uh, with Woody, or at the very least, be really interested in uh-huh. in finding out about him. Um, I remember when I when I auditioned for the show, um, I was really up on Woody's music because it had been a fascination for me ever since I was a teenager. And I remember going into the into the audition, and I did a you know a couple things. And uh, and they had a big long table that was full of uh, music, mm-hmm. and they uh, they said, "Well, can you take a minute? We'd like to have you back. Can you take a minute and look through the music that's up here? And do you think you could pick another song that you could do?" And I genuinely wasn't trying to be, you know, a big deal or anything. But I walked up and I sort of scanned up and down it, and I said, in fact, I said at the time, I said, I'm not trying to be big shot or nothing, but I can do you any of these songs from memory right now if you'd like. And they sort of nodded their head. They're like, okay, we'll, we'll be talking to you. So that's so our that's, Woody. That's well, that's that's how I that's that's how I made it. And there are actually three of us that played Woody at different uh-huh. stages of his life. And so you were doing that, and then you end up you start teaching at the old town school, then, right? I I um, I started hanging around the school, and 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 basically sort of just you know made myself a general nuisance. I mean, that's how you get hired over there. You just you <laughs> you, you you hang around long enough, and 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 finally they say, you know what? Just you're just pick here. Come over here and do this. You're sitting there. You're not doing anything. Um, <laughs> no, how I got how I got hired. Um, there used to be a woman who, ta- who taught at the school. She ran the children's program. Her name was Jackie Russell. And sh- I think she s- still does this. She runs the Chicago Children's Theater. I'm not 100% uh-huh. sure that's still her thing, but I, I believe that's true. And somebody gave her my name because I had a theater background, and she wanted to do a, a teen theater program. And so I met with her, and we had a really nice conversation. And on the way out of the building, this is when everything was still at the Armitage location, mm-hmm. the only location, um, I was walking past uh, Michael Miles' office, and Michael Miles was the head of the education department at that time, as well as being a just stellar banjo player and teacher. And he and I were friendly, and I stuck my head in his office, and he's sitting behind his desk working away, and I said, oh, Michael, I just 
want to let you know uh, if you're ever in the need of a guitar teacher or somebody to be on the list of you know alternates or subs or whatever I'd be honored to work here and he said well it's uh, good good to know we have everybody we need but we'll keep you in mind and I said great that's all I need and I walked out not thinking any more about it mm -hmm. figuring it's probably a really long list and I'm at the bottom of it but uh, you know you'd float to the top eventually right. A week later, couldn't have been more than a week later, I was, in the, I was in the music store getting a package of strings, and Michael comes running up to me. He says, I can't believe you're standing here. I was going to call you. We've had an overflow of registration for Guitar One. We've had to open up a new section, and there's no one left to teach it on whatever night this was, Tuesday or something like that. It shows you what a small organization it was at the time. And, uh, and he says, you know, would you like to do it? And I said, of course, I'd be honored. And then he got really earnest mm -hmm. with me. He said, now, this is an eight-week commitment, you know, this, you're doing this. You can't just sort of fly off if something else comes your way. And at the, at the time, you know, if you've ever been any kind of actor, you go through periods where there's not a lot going on. And I was in the middle of one of those. Mm -hmm. And I said, Michael, the, the calendar is clear. I'm, you know, I can, I can commit to this. He says, now you can sub out one time, but you can't, like, eight weeks, you're here. I said, Michael, trust me, the cupboard's bare. Um, I got nothing going on. He said, you really, can you, you make the commitment for eight weeks, that's two months. I said, yeah, I know how long it is. <laughs> and, he, and he says, do you want to do it? And I, and I said, yes, absolutely. He says, good, it starts tonight. <laughs> And so I ran upstairs and I filled out the, you know, the paperwork and I, and I called my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I said, I'm working at the Old Town School and, and that was in 1996 and I never looked back. Did, did, was there a cur curriculum, curri ah, you, know, you know the word I'm looking for, curri curriculum. Beer? Yes. Um, <laughs> but did they say these are, these are the songs you're going to teach or was it pretty much? You're, you're given, you were given the, the, the little blue spiral bound songbook uh -huh. and there was a, a curriculum that, that Michael wrote out, you know, sort of a guideline of uh -huh. here's what you want to try to get people to do and have a good time and all that sort of thing. And it was really sort of seat of the pants. Um, and it was guitar one. So it wasn't like I, I had a group of people who could sort of play a little bit and I could sort of string them along. It was like, all right, here's how we get in tune. Here's where this one finger goes on mm -hmm. this one string. And, uh, and the classes were big then. How many people? Well, I don't remember the, f the first class that I taught. I know it was a, it was a pretty substantial, but I've had, I had classes in the early days of guitar one, upwards of 25 people. Mm -hmm. And, and that wasn't uncommon. And you hadn't you had you had done any teaching of any kind before that? I had done teaching on on my own, you know, in my apartment, you know, here and there. Michael, I gotta say, um, was a pretty good judge of character, and I think that he knew that. I really wanted to give my best for this place and that I was going to ask a lot of questions if I had even the slightest notion of not knowing what I was doing mm -hmm. um, and that that I would you know be coming to him hey I got this how do you do this you know and I think he got that I really loved the school and that even if I didn't know or have everything I needed right at the beginning that I would work hard to acquire it. And then, is it around this time that you started working with Special Consensus as well? 
Uh, I started teaching at the school in 1996. I subbed in with the special consensus in the summer of 97. And then at the end of the year, Greg uh, offered me the, the, the gig to go on the road. And so uh, that was uh, 98, 99, 2000. Mm -hmm. And then in the spring of 2001, I, I got off the road. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are some of the songs you're doing then? Could you play well, something uh, yeah. from that time? I mean, it was, it was all straight up you know, bluegrass stuff. Was that um, was that a stretch for you, or had you been doing bluegrass already? Well, at that at that point, I'd been I'd been really working on my flat picking for mm -hmm. about you know six or so years, and um, so it had gotten to the to the to the point where I guess Greg thought there was enough raw material to work with that he could you know he could take me on. Um, but yeah, I had I had kept the finger picking thing going, but I had really tried to get the flat picking to catch up. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. I'll uh, when I was in the special consensus, Greg used to have this open door policy about um, songwriting. You know, if you had something that you thought would be good for the band, he'd say, you know, bring it in. And and of course, if it's not what you know, if it's not for us, we won't do it. But uh, you're always welcome. And so I wound up. Over the over the course of the time of being in the band, writing three songs that that got recorded, so maybe I'll do you one of those. Yes, that sounds great. This is a thing that I that I did uh, called the the whistles lonesome sound. It's a, it's a train song. You shook hands with the brakeman. And the fireman one last time The conductors, they all knew him by his name He stepped into the cab to check the water level line And listened for that all aboard again With a new watch for 40 years Crossing ties and watching tears at the station Folks who said goodbye Through the small towns and the fields Children shout and cheer when the whistle blew as he went rolling by. And the rails unwind like the ribbon of his memory. And the ties are every mile he's ever known. But the whistle's lonesome sound just won't make the years slow down. When the time comes to roll that engine home. Autumn fields are feeling the farmhands once again And when the whistle blows they know it's quitting time And the old man's mind remembers all the places that he's been As he watches this harvest one last time And the rails unwind like the ribbon of his memory And the ties are every mile he's ever known but the whistle's lonesome sound just won't make the years slow down When the time comes to roll that engine home
rails are changing fast Steam engines just won't last And the routes are closing down So it seems He'll roll that engine down the line And check his new watch for the time As it slips away just like this old man's dreams And the rails unwind like the ribbon of his memory And the ties are every mile he's ever known But the whistle's lonesome sound Just won't make the years slow down When the time comes to roll that engine home Lonesome sound just won't make the years slow down when the time comes to roll that engine home. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Now, when, when you're writing a song, what do you do? You put yourself in a certain mindset? How do you get there? The mindset was, is is this a song that this bluegrass band would do? Um, the, the first song that I wrote was this up-tempo thing called, called Billy Boy, and, and the, the, I actually hadn't really been thinking about writing songs for the, for the band. I've been thinking about it, but I wasn't really sort of pushing it yet. Mm -hmm. But I remember this absolutely true story. We were, we were on our way up to um, Rochester, Minnesota, and it was like February, which is a really bad time to go there. <laughs> um, but we had, the, we had like a week of school shows booked to do, and we had this concert we were going to play. And we were going to be going to the studio that spring, and we still hadn't gotten all the material together. And Greg, we, I need to step back just a little bit to describe what we were riding in. It wasn't like a big bus like you know the famous guys no we were we we did all our touring around in a big 40 Econoline van so you had two guys up front the driver and the guy in the shotgun and then a bench seat in the back and Greg was still scuffling looking for material for us to do for this record that we were gonna do and he had his boombox up on the dash as we're driving <laughs> and and a stack of cassette tapes that had been sent to him by these various songwriters, you know, who, who had crossed his path. And we were listening to just one song after another that just wasn't right for various reasons. They either weren't good bluegrass songs or they weren't good songs at all, you know. And, and it was just, it was really torturous because you couldn't, you, there, you know, there was nowhere to go. There wasn't like a back that you could go to. The back was full of stuff. And it's not like you were going to stop. And even if you could get out, it's, you know, it's, it's February and you're on your way to Minnesota. It was just, it was just, you know, it was just nothing good about it. And, um, and so we're stuck. And, and I remember thinking to myself, we are going to wind up picking something that we can live with rather than having a, a you know a song that's like our song and I thought it can't be that hard and I remember I had my little Walkman which had a radio on it mm -hmm. and I put the headphones on and I tuned the dial all the way over to the right side uh -huh. and I turned it up so all you heard was <sighs> so I was able to block out the singer-songwriter <laughs> stuff that was going on and I took out a pad of paper and a pencil and I thought, okay, what do you need in a bluegrass song? You need, what is it? You need mom and dad, the old home place. All right, yeah. Trains, 
prison. And I just wrote this song that had all those elements in it, and we wound up recording it. And, and in fact, Greg asked, when, you know, when, we, when we got where we were going, which was you know, hours and hours later, he said, when, do you, when did you write this? I said, in the van on the way up, because all the rest of those songs are terrible. So, and we wound up you know, recording that song. And what was it like being on the road uh, compared to? Well, that's uh, something about it. But oh, yeah. how do you? How's, are you the type of person that enjoys it or not? You know, I liked being on the road. I would I would occasionally meet musicians, and they'd be sort of you know, you know, what's it like? You guys are driving everywhere, and and I used to sum it up by saying it's a free trip somewhere cool every week, and we get to play music for people who are sort of waiting for us it's not like you know we're stopping at a gas station somewhere and we start playing it's like hey are there any gigs we can have you know it's not itinerant musicians that way um and i used to like i used to like the drive i like the late night driving like for example if we if we had a gig and that we would have finished at like 10 o'clock or 10 30 something like that so we'd hit the road by about 10 30 or 11 and there was in this in the in the Ford Econoline van, Greg behind the bench seat that I described earlier had created this loft out of two by fours and plywood, and that's where the bass would go inside the van in this loft. And and if you weren't claustrophobic and slim enough, you could crawl up next to the bass, and it would be quiet, and you could just go to sleep. I mean, it was very much like being in a coffin, I imagine. But if you wanted to sleep, that was the place to go. And so what I would do, as soon as, as, soon as we'd hit the road, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, I would go right up and I would make myself go to sleep because I knew the other three guys would be just chattering away. They'd still be high from the gig you know, with all that energy, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, about one o'clock in the morning, there, not a one of them is gonna be worth anything, and that's when I'm gonna get behind the wheel. And I tell you, if you've ever been on, like, the interstate, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, it's marvelous. There's nothing out there but trucks, and those guys are getting where they're going. And if you stay out of their way and and just you know o- obey the rules which is they are bigger than I am um, boy you can really make time and and the other three guys would be asleep and it's really peaceful mm-hmm. and you can just log a lot of miles and it's and and I really enjoyed that part mm-hmm. of the you know driving during the day is great too because you see all the you know topography and all that but if you want to get where you're going boy just start driving at two o'clock <laughs> 2 a.m yeah boy you'll, you'll get there <laughs> i never minded that at all so what what other are there songs which you write that are not done i mean what, what about other types of songs you write for yourself or do you always kind of think about an audience or a certain um, well, I, th- I th- setting. Well, I think about audiences now um, in the in the writing because I'm not in the band anymore. So, so I, th- I, th- when I write a song, I think, gee, is this something that I can pull off just by myself, where mm-hmm. there isn't like a banjo and a bass and a mandolin playing along with me? Mm-hmm. So, um, there may be a little bit more reflective. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, but yeah, I still I still write. Yeah, is there is there one that's that special to you? That... Um, well, I guess 
well, okay, I'll do I'll do this one. This is the this is the last one that I wrote. This is sort of was like a transitional thing. This and there's a little story with this, which I I hope I hope I could say this over the radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> the last song I wrote when I was when I was in the special consensus, we were we were traveling somewhere I can't remember, and I was listening to this John Hartford CD, and in one of his songs, he there's a line in it that's that goes the quiet side of town and I thought that sounds like a title so I remembered it and the next day we were in the van same red 40 Conoline van driving along and I took a pad of paper and I quickly scrawled across the top of it quiet side of town because I was like I wanted to remember that and I thought okay what's some imagery and so I'm just sort of staring at the page waiting for some sort of inspiration and at one point our mandolin player, he's looking over my shoulder at the, at the pad of paper, and I turned to him and I said, hey, what do you want? And he points to the page and he says, what does that say? And I, and I held it up to him and I said, well, you're a high school graduate, you <laughs> read it. And I hope, this is, I hope this is okay for the radio, but you know, I suppose you can edit it out. He, uh, he looked at it and kind of squinted at it for a second and he said, well, I'm not sure what you wrote, but that looks like it says, the butt sounds of love. <laughs> as God is my witness, that's what he said. <laughs> and, I, and I took the, the pad back and I quickly scrawled what our man Lynn player had just said, the butt sounds of love, underneath what the t real title was, Quiet Side of Town. And I held it up to him and I said, come on now, be serious. Does that second line look like that first line? And he kind of looked at it for a second and he says, I have no idea what that second line says, but that first line looks like it says, the butt sounds of love. And I snatched the, the page away and I said, well, you're not getting this song. <laughs> I'm going to write this and you're not going to get it. And as it turned out to be a very prophetic statement because, <laughs> because I, uh, I, I wound up, you know, getting off the road a few months after that. So, uh, so yeah. Now, now any, of you, any of you here in the, that, are, that are sitting out there, any of you all songwriters? Yeah. Well, if you, I'll license you that other title if you're interested. <laughs> Because I really don't think I'm going to have any use for it, so we can negotiate for that later. But uh, but yeah, this other the, the the other song, "The Quiet Side of Town," is one that is is one that I like a whole lot. Which I guess I've just ruined for you by that introduction. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, I'll do I'll do that one for you. <laughs> Sounds good. Sun hangs low in the early evening sky, and the changing autumn leaves take wing and fly. And while they dance around the children in the old playground, time moves slow on the quiet side of town. Dust kicks up behind the truck that brings the mail 
And the old men sit on benches spinning tales The farmer brings in his tractor as the sun goes down While supper waits on the quiet side of town Where there's open doors and old wood floors And people know your name where the women all smile warmly and the men talk plain Where the memories long and they sing old songs and no one talks you down You can find some peace on the quiet side of town Smell of wood smoke hanging in the air And the street lamps flicker on by the courthouse square A soft breeze blows as a gentle rain falls down And there's a porch light on the quiet side of town Last train from the station leaves for the day And passes fields for harvest along the way the Switchman checks his watch and puts his lantern down And walks for home on the quiet side of town Where there's open doors and old wood floors People know your name Where the women all smile warmly And the men talk plain And when my time is done back home I'll come to lay my burdens down And I'll find sweet rest on the quiet side of town I'll find sweet rest on the quiet side of town Thank you. Thanks a bunch. That's a beautiful song. Thank you. One other thing I wanted to talk with you about, we've sure. got Mark Vorek here in the, in the wings, yeah. is uh, Weaver Mania. How did, how did you get mixed up with that? Weaver, well, um, I, I, I actually started with, with the early, very early incarnation of that um, right as it was forming and then I got the offer to go with special consensus and so I really it was it was kind of a, a tough choice but I sort of went with something that I thought was you know was already an established thing mm -hmm. and 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 uh and plus, I, I can remember in those early rehearsals because I don't have a long neck banjo like my like my good friend Mark has on every tune because I had just a regular five string without the extra frets. Mm -hmm. I, I was having to retune every single time and dink around with capos and stuff, and it was it was just damned inconvenient. <laughs> so, 
So, because I, I just, I mean, I was a bluegrass. I was thinking, why come, why come everything's not in G? What's going on? <laughs> so, so that, that was sort of, you know, and, and it made me think, well, I'll have to get a long neck banjo, and then I'll have to learn how to frail like Pete Seeger, and I'll have to do all this other stuff. Um, but fortunately, I didn't have to worry about any of that, because I went off to be with Special Consensus. When I got off the road, Weaver Mania was already a, a, a pretty popular thing, and and the great Tom Dundee was the guitar player, the Fred Hellerman uh, character. And when he left, he decided he wanted to go back and do more solo things and work on other avenues. He suggested my name mm-hmm. to Michael and Barbara, uh, Michael Smith and Barbara Barrow and Mark Dvorak. Um, so again, I didn't have anything to do with it. It was all it was all due to to Tom, who really did me a marvelous good turn mm-hmm. um, by having me work in Weaver Mania. And what was it like, kind of going and listening? Do you do you listen to a lot of the Weaver stuff and try to recreate it, or do you guys do it more organically? How does what's what's the process? Well, like? the the process the process by that time was really. The engine behind it was really Michael Smith, mm-hmm. and his thing was let's see how close to the either the recordings or the live performances we can get, um, and we worked that way for a while, and then it evolved into let's see how close to the essence of what they're doing we can get, and then let's bring more of our own selves to the to the table. Mm-hmm. So there's a different kind of life behind it. So it did it did change over time. And, uh, well, and then what are we going to play? I know you and Mark have worked, you decided you had some tunes that you were going to do together, yeah, there, right? Yeah, we, well, we were talking about, you know, Woody Guthrie. And, you know, Mark and I, we got a little project that's, uh, that's coming up. We're going to be doing, I mean, think of this. You're going to get a couple of, you know, raggedy folk singers. We're going to be at the Art Institute. Ooh. Yeah, that, see that? And the, yeah, and the room goes, ooh. <laughs> Oh, oh, the Art Institute. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, well, they've got a, they've got a, an exhibit going on. It's called After the Fall, and it's um, uh-huh. it's artwork paintings that were done uh, during the Great Depression, and they've been having uh, various presentations by folks around the Chicago area. People talking about what was going on in politics, what was going on in literature, you know, the other arts. Um, and they got a hold of the school, and they said, you know, do you have a couple of ratty folk singers that you can send? <clears throat> you know, do you, do you like when they walk in? Are they actually going to be trailing some dust off them? <laughs> like, uh, you know, we need some authenticity. Um, and and they got, they found Mark and I, and so and so what we're doing uh, on the 25th of August, we're going to be down there uh, doing a couple of sets of uh, of music. Uh, of you know folk music as well as some other little things Uh that were that were either reactions to or grew out of the 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 great depression there'll be a couple of prose things we'll throw in there but Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot of music and that's what that's what that is so mark and i we've been we've been thinking about that for a little bit now so we'll do uh we'll do a little bit of woody guthrie and and maybe something else who knows that sounds great and i'll let you guys close out with those two i'd like to just thank you very much for opening up your mind to us oh dan this was my pleasure thanks so much for having me it was a real pleasure thank you it was great and gunner jebson thanks for doing the engineering 
And thanks, everybody, for coming. We're really happy to have an audience to be able to do this. All right. So Mark and I are going to do um, probably probably about the first Woody Guthrie song that I ever that I ever learned because it had three chords <laughs> and uh, and it had some uh, it it had some had some poetry that was that was fairly fairly memorable. Uh, it's called Do Re Mi. Lots of folks back east, they say, leaving home most every day. Beating the hot old dusty trail to the California line. Across the desert sands they roll, trying to get out of that old dust bowl. They think they're heading for a sugar bowl, but here is what they find. For the police at the port of entry say, you're number 14,000 for today. If you ain't got the door, me boys, you ain't got the door, me. Well, you better go back to beautiful Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Georgia, Tennessee. California is a garden of Eden, it paradise to live in or see. But believe it or not, you won't find it so hot if you ain't got the door me. farm that won't do nobody harm or take your vacation by the mountains or the sea but don't swap that old cow for a car you better just stay right where you are you better take this little tip from me because i read the want ads every day and the only thing that the headlines ever say is if you ain't got the door Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Kansas, Tennessee, California is a garden of Eden, a paradise to live in or see, but believe it or not, you won't find it so hot if you ain't got the door me. but believe it or not, you won't it's so hot if you ain't got the door, Amy. Yeah. I should have done this beforehand, but I, but I really want to take a, a, a nice little moment to welcome probably one of my one of my longest friends through the Old Town School of Folk Music, a real real pal to me, my good friend Mark Dvorak. Thank Please you, make brother. him welcome. Thank you. Yeah. 
I just, I would like to point out also, Chris, that that song has increased in speed since we did it with Weaver Mania. So I'm ready for anything here. It's great to play with you again. We're going to finish with a, a great number here that we both have admired for years and years and years. And I remember Weaver Mania was such a um, pivotal experience in both of our performing lives and uh, and even though it looked like we were making it up on the spot we were very well rehearsed <laughs> and every rehearsal we'd say what should we open with what should we open with and we'd throw titles around and then we'd get to the hall or the place or the church wherever we were playing and and Mike would say let's open with Midnight Special Let the midnight 